0: Um, If you're a guest with us this morning, uh, we're glad that you're here. There's a communication card inside the bulletin. If you didn't get a bulletin, you can just kind of raise your hand, and one of the guys will give you one. Also, more importantly, if you need a Bible, uh, we have some Bibles on loan. And uh, just slip your hand up, and one of the ushers will hand you a Bible. And uh, I think they've got them coming along the side here. Just raise your hand if you need a Bible. Um, Also, the sprouts can be dismissed at this time. Kindergarten. And younger, if you haven't registered your child yet, you can step out at this time and uh, register your child with Megan for sprouts. Let's give a round of applause to our sprouts workers as they serve our children today. We have a uh, special guest preacher with us this morning. And uh, his name is Sean, Sean Robinson. I uh, have known Sean since I was a youth pastor. Uh, went back 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 in the day. I used to live on the eastern shore of Maryland. Um, Did you guys know that the eastern shore has uh, people? It does. And um, served at a church for five years as a youth pastor over there. It was a really wonderful time and ministry. And uh, about once every couple months or so, I would come across the bridge uh, into the land of chicken neckers, as they call them. And, uh, and I would meet uh, with uh, a group of youth pastors, and Sean was one of the guys that would be at the meeting. And uh, I enjoyed my time sitting around the table listening to Sean and uh, hearing about his ministry as a youth pastor. Uh, fast forward a few years, Sean is still in the city. He's a native of Baltimore, and he is devoting his life to ministry here in Baltimore City. Uh, He serves as an associate pastor slash elder at uh, Freedom Church, a church that is one of our sister churches, a church that we pray for often. They're uh, way over on the east side and uh, great ministry over there. Church a couple years old, four or five years old, I believe. Uh, Mike Crawford is the pastor and uh, Sean has been serving alongside Mike and the rest of the guys and girls at Freedom Church doing an amazing work uh, for the Lord. He also uh, is a trainer right around the corner at the Center for Urban Families. Uh, if you know of any guys or girls that could uh, could use, use some assistance in, in job training and taking some classes and getting some things together, they are the place to be. And uh, you might even uh, get some contact info from Sean uh, before he leaves today. But Sean uh, has brought his lovely wife, Shanika. It's good to have you today, and Sean and Trey, his sons, and his nephew, Jason. Great to have you guys. Thank you for coming to the garden this morning. And let's give a warm garden welcome to Sean Robinson as he brings the word this morning.
1: Okay, I think, I think we're on to something. Good morning. Um, let's pray. God, thank you for just your grace and your mercy. Um, you know more than anybody else, Lord, uh, that none of us have a right to stand before you and say anything about you as if we're the authority on you, but God, everything that we say about you, you've revealed to us, and it's only by grace that we stand. We know, God, that it is a, it's a wonderful grace. It's a, it's a terrifying grace, if you will, knowing that a God who is as loving and as holy as you would love us, would wrap your arms around us, and would even use us to reach other people that you've called. We thank you for your grace this morning. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase, God. I thank you for that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, I didn't just come um, with my wife, my nephew, and my two sons. My mom is here. Isn't that good? Hey, mom. Um, And I'm not a mama's boy, but I'm her only son. Y'all doing a lot of laughing. Some of you think I'm a mama's boy because I said that. No, um. And also, ne- next week I won't be here, so I want to say to all the moms in here, happy Mother's Day. Right? It's, it's a wonderful holiday. Um, it's a lot that is celebrated on Mother's Day. And on Father's Day, we can't find half of you. You guys know the media pumps up Mother's Day, but us dads catch a terrible time in Baltimore on my <laughs> Father's Day. right? It's cookout time, but you can go on Mother's Day. You can't get a seat in a restaurant, but on Father's Day, you can go sit down anywhere. Um, yeah, I, I'm so thankful that Pastor Joe asked me to come down. We saw each other at Unplug, which is a conference we do every year um, It's part of Pastor Mike's vision to bring churches together, the body of Christ together to reach Baltimore um, When I was thinking about what to come and talk to you about today um, Garden Church, I said, well Lord, what do you want me to say and what would be appropriate? I don't know where you are at this point. I read your website I came into existence in 2008 um, since 2012, you moved into this building and you've been growing and trying to deploy into this culture, this Druid Heights culture, this Bolton Hill slash Reservoir Hill area since you started, is that correct? Yep. So, I'm, I di- I'm okay? <laughs> okay. Um, let me tell you a little bit more about me because you won't buy into what I'm saying until you at least know a little bit about me. I am a native of West Baltimore, particularly Northwest Baltimore. Is anybody here from East Baltimore? Anybody here from East? Okay, we forgive you. Um, So (laughs) um, I am a native of of Northwest Baltimore. I've been here my whole life, except for my time in the military. My wife is a native of the village. I grew up in and around um, the northwest part of Baltimore, whether it be Liberty Heights and Granada. My my father's side of the family was right from the 200 block of North Fulton Avenue. Um, My mother's been here her entire life. So, and you know, when black folks get some money and they get, or even just a couple dollars now, and they leave uh, West Baltimore, they flow into Woodlawn and Randallstown because they feel like they made it. Which just becomes a Baltimore suburb of Liberty Heights and Park Heights out there. Isn't that right? Y'all act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to get you there. I'm going to give you a real tour, a a pretty quick tour of Charm City, right? But I love my town, I love Baltimore City. It's nothing better. Um, and I've been around the world. I've been some places, but there's nothing like Charm City. It's a, it's a hard-nosed town um, that we love our Ravens, right? I'll leave if you don't like the Ravens. <laughs> we love our Ravens. We love our Orioles, who are actually doing well, right? And we love our town. And I particularly love West Baltimore. That's why I said when I was coming before you, I was trying to think about, Lord, what do you want me to say? West Baltimore is an interesting place. Um, it's, it's very distinct in its neighborhoods. You know, Reservoir Hill and, and Bolton Hill are right next to each other, but aren't they night and day? Isn't that usually how it works? But when I, when I look at the town and I look at all the potential and all the things that lie here in Baltimore City, in West Baltimore specifically, Pennsylvania Avenue, I look at history, Pennsylvania Avenue used to be the place of the Royal Theater. It used to be a place where people across the country would come to and celebrate. You understand what I'm saying? Cab Calloway and and, and Ella Fitzgerald and people, Red Fox would do shows down there. This was before little Melbourne and the heroin epidemic. And the guys coming back from Vietnam, I told you I'm going to give you a quick tour of Baltimore. Right down here on the avenue used to be one of the places that if you had a couple of dollars and you were trying to come up in the world and you have a good time, this was a, a historic place to be. But look at it now. Right? Affectionately known as Sandtown. Right? Y'all with me? So I was saying, well, what, what do I say? But the potential, if it could be that way, then, if it was that way then, then couldn't it be that way again? Can, can, can God do renovation in the streets of West Baltimore? Does there have to be a dichotomy between Bolton Hill and Reservoir Hill? Does gentrification mean moving out the indigenous people and bringing in people who don't necessarily love the city but actually love what it looks like when I move in? Could it possibly be that God could bring gentrification but still keep the indigenous people there? Is that possible? That we can have mixed income neighborhoods where people thrive and the elderly are cared for and the children are taken care of. And you know what a community is like by looking at the old people and looking at the children, right? Could it, is it possible for those two people to come together? My question to you is, your church's name is The Garden. Now, The Garden means that things grow and things are planted and things, and soil is cultivated and fertilized. Is it possible that you could be caught part of God's mission to renew and revitalize and bring shalom, God's shalom, to this area of West Baltimore? Is that possible? Are you a part of God's renovation plan? Well, the Bible says yes. You were bought here for a reason. Transplants and those who are natural citizens here, you were bought here for a reason to do a work. The Bible says in Matthew 28 that the work is to make disciples of all nations. You were bought here to do a work. You were bought here to bring God's renovation. Right? Y'all agree with that? Let's dig, let's dig into the scriptures. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. And I'm going to kind of take you through the whole chapter... Um, just because it fits, it's the context. Just like you have been called to this place at this time, and God has a mission for his people, he also had a mission for his people back here in Deuteronomy, which is, Deuteronomy is the second given of the law, it's actually the words of Moses to the people of Israel, and it's the last thing he does before he dies. It's three different addresses in Deuteronomy, as you'll see here. And, and Moses is essentially preaching to a people. He's, he's talking to his people. And Moses is about to take his people into the promised land. And we all know, if we, you know, as Bible scholars, that Moses never gets there. God told him he couldn't go. And we also know that a whole generation of people died off. They had that God, for lack of a better term, he, he caused them to be killed off and not to make it into the promised land. But when you see things like that and you see a people who are on the cusp like you are here in West Baltimore, the question is, what will you do with the time that God has given you? And will you let fear of man and fear in and of itself stop you from doing what God has called you to do? Will we be the generation that people say they talked a lot and they were into multiculturalism, but they never really hit the streets? Will we be the generation that God has given us a command to go and make disciples, but we're scared to go to North Avenue? Will we be the generation that people said they, they they sounded good and they were able to form a nice little multicultural clique, but they never actually ventured out and and and, and they got so scared and not look look not just scared of the people, but they were scared that the, the, the way of life of the people in West Baltimore was somehow gonna taint their view of what Christianity is. Here you have a people, a bunch of people. <laughs> A bunch of thousands of people who were standing before Moses, and Moses, what's interesting in this context is Moses is talking to their children. He's talking to the people who were young before they were going to the promised land. In other words, this was a remix. They were at a point where they were going to go into the promised land, and we're going to get into that, but they didn't make it because they weren't obedient to God. So God kills them off, and he's starting over with a new generation. The people who Moses is talking to were children or not even born at the time. They're getting ready to go into the promised land now. And Moses is talking to them, you. He's saying you, and and, I know if I'm standing here with Moses while he's saying you, I'm saying, wait a minute, that was my parents. I was not here. But Moses is teaching them, and he's, he's teaching them, look, it's you because, one, you're from your parents, so the same things that they are privy to, you are as well. That same fear of man, that same comfortable posture, that same comfortable position, that same disobedience to God, that same thing you are privy to. And guess what? The church garden, although you've been here since 2008, the church is not new in Baltimore City. Have you paid attention? The church is everywhere in Baltimore City. So I work on 2201 North Monroe Street. Directly across from me is a mega church. I'm not going to say any names. Right? Guess what the name of my organization is? It's the Center for Urban Families. Who is supposed to be the Center for Urban Families? I can't hear you. The church. And they send people to us. Redemptively, we are supposed to be able to send people to them. Does that make sense? the center for urban families is the church it's the church let's look at the scriptures and don't misunderstand that there are services that the church the church is not called to do everything and there are services that some people do better than others there's workforce development but a theology of work starts with the church does it not and there's some Baltimore responsible fatherhood, but who's the best dad in the world? Isn't it God? Am I right? And we have couples advancing together. Isn't marriage ordained by God? <laughs> you understand what I'm getting at a little bit here? We're actually going to the world to find out how to be good people, right? To find out how to, to, be, to be free from some of the mess when actually the answer's in the scriptures and among God's people. Are you with me? Okay. So Moses starts out here. He says, these are the words that Moses, I'm in verse 1, Deuteronomy chapter 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is 11 days journey from Hor by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the 40th, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Eshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and in Idri, or Idri. Beyond the Jordan and the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites, and to all the neighbors in the Arabah and the hill country and the lowland, and in Negev and the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See how I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to you, to, to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them and to their offspring after them. So, when looking at this, these folks are on the cusp of a promise that was made to them in Exodus, the book of Exodus. You with me? They're on the cusp of a promise. That God is about to fulfill the promise. He's about to to make true, to make real everything that he told him he was going to do, he's about to make real on it. A lot of times what you'll see with, with us as believers and as God's people is we really have a short memory, don't we? Am I by myself on this? In order for them to get here at this point where they're on the southernmost part of the promised land, They came through and walked through the Red Sea on dry land. You understand what I'm getting at? God had been leading them by day and by night, by cloud and by pillar, right? By day and by night, he had fed them. The Bible says, if you look later in Deuteronomy, their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. He provided quail and, and he provided food and manna on the ground. God has been taking care of these people for a long time. He gave the plagues to Egypt. They just defeated the most powerful army in the world. He has multiplied them, thousands upon thousands of people. Remember, what y'all with me? And here they are on the crux of the promised land. Wait, let me say this to you. I'm a black preacher. If you don't talk back to me, I'm going to be here a while. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Y'all with me? Say amen now, huh? So (laughs) (laughs) they are on the crux of the promised land, but behind them is a whole lot of history. But God's people have a very short memory. You know how I know that? Because I do. I could be in a situation today, and God took me through that very same situation last week, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and in that moment, I will question God's intentions I will question if he'll do it and I'll even talk about how he's not even a good God and it's people that have traveled with me and seen God work in my life and they'll say but remember God and I'll say well I ain't trying to hear that because why am I in this situation now you've never been there your memory is all you guys always remember and trust God in every situation is that right I knew I was talking to the real church down here, (laughs) up there where I'm at, man. we We are terrible when it comes to remembering God. Here's what's interesting. February 1st, 2013, my son was diagnosed with leukemia, right? February 1st, 2013. And on that day, I saw my wife cry, I saw my wife upset. We questioned everything we believed about Jesus. Everything. You with me? He's here too. He's strong by God's grace. We questioned everything we believed about Christ. We, we started questioning, like, Lord, why would you do this to us? Now, at the time the child was 11, he was going to be 12 in May, but I never questioned all those healthy days that he had before. Does that make sense? 11 years and 8 months, this child was healthy every day. And, I, and, and I, I wasn't as exuberant in my praise for his health. But the minute that his health had taken a fall, I questioned God's love. How short was my memory? God gives me 11 years, 4 months of health for a child's life. And when cancer comes now, all of a sudden, he's not good. Does that make sense? And, and, I, and I'm standing here, and then I started to believe, well, God, will you even heal him? Watch this. Can you heal him? I, listen, in May 2005, I ruptured my Achilles playing ball at a men's retreat. Right? I'm, I'm the sole provider in my house as far as uh, working outside. <laughs> right? I made the shot, too. <laughs> I'm the sole provider as far as, uh, out, income outside the house. My wife works very hard. Be clear. If you've ever watched what a homemaker does, she should get paid about seventy dollars to $100,000 a year. But I was the sole provider. 18 weeks, they told me, they said, Sean, you, you can't work for 18 weeks. And we exhausted our savings, and where I worked, I worked for the VA, and they did not have short-term disability. And I watched God provide without us having to beg, borrow, or steal our rent, our food. And we didn't just have what we need, but God gave us some things that we wanted. But on February 2013, I forgot that he provided for us. You understand what I'm saying? When the cancer came, I forgot that he provided for us in May 2005, and my memory was just so short. Are you with me? God's people, our memory is so short. Listen, there was a time when the garden didn't exist. That this man was on the Eastern Shore, and you all were doing all these things. That You understand what I'm getting at? That... All over the place. There's some people in here that can, can remember some things that God has done. But the, the God in his providence has brought the garden together to make a move right here in West Baltimore. And there's going to be some challenges and some things that he's going to call you to do. And what you don't need to do is forget his goodness. Forget his power. Forget his grace. Forget how he brings you together and has brought you together for such a time as this. Don't forget, Christians. We have short memories. So Moses is talking to the folks, You say, get back to the text. I'm going. (laughs) Moses says, Moses says. he he says, uh, after he tells them, look, God says, here's the land. God says, see the land. Go in and conquer it. Watch this. They got to fight to get to where they need to be. Isn't that how it usually is? In order for you to get to where you need to be, there's usually a battle or a challenge or a fight. And this is when we become punks. God, I know you gave me a promise, but the way that you're trying to get me to get that promise, I don't like that way. So why don't you give it to me in a way that I can handle and that I'm good at? I, I don't want that way. I, don't, I want this way. Are y'all with me? Y'all doing a lot of amen since I said I was black and I was going to take a long time. <laughs> I'm hip. <laughs> um, so then Moses So Moses, what he does is these people, obviously he's talking to all these people, he's talking about this is the land, let's go get it. He starts to look at them, and he realizes how many people he has, and he reminds them of promise. God has given them the promise of the land, but he reminds them the Lord our God, which is a covenant God, Yahweh. He he says, the Lord our God, this covenant God has always been with us. In other words, God has never left us alone. But then he starts to get organized. He's remembering. And Moses is recounting all this, remember now, to another generation. In other words, I'm telling you a story about something that happened 40 years ago because I know the same thing can happen to you. Because guess where we are? Back where we started. So I'm telling you a story. Y'all with me? And he first thing he does, he says, he says, the people asked me to put, it was too much, their problems were too much to bear, so I had to put them in groups of hundreds and fifties and tens. In other words, Moses gets organized. Part of being in leadership is to, is to have plurality of, of leadership, of elders. Of, uh, in other words, when I say plural, is more than one. The only senior pastor is Jesus. And what we need is we need diversity in our leadership, and we, especially when you guys are trying to reach a diverse culture. Y'all with me? Baltimore is 64% black, and, and some people ain't going to be able to go down on North and Fulton and get it in. And that ain't just white. There's also some blacks that ain't going down there. Y'all with me? And, but what we need is we need organization, and we need order, and we need structure. And, and um, I was looking at the website and how Pastor Joe has set up deacons and elders. Elders serve the church by leading, and deacons lead the church by serving. And he set up a structure where there's officers in the church to carry about the work of the church. But guess who does the real work of the church? They're equippers, and then there's are people who actually do the work. Are you with me? Who does the work of the church? Well, God does, but guess who he uses? You! Y'all with me? The elders and deacons leading there, and, and, and Moses gets organized, and he appoints leaders, but the work of the church is actually done by the people. In other words, Moses ain't going to fight up in all these lands by himself. They had just, by the way, he's talking to, two, to, to this group of, this new generation of Israelites after they had just defeated two kings. So they had established some victory. But it's funny that Moses didn't bank on the victory that he established because he knew that people have a short memory. Y'all with me? Okay. So Moses gets organized. He appointed judges, and he, he, he appointed men of character. He told the people, appoint, appoint men of character, people with character, godly men, men who were wise to rule over you. In other words, y'all got to be careful of the people that you got leading you. Am I right? You have to be extremely careful that because they can lead you the wrong way. And maybe that's a problem in the church, too, in West Baltimore. Maybe we got some people who are not who are leading us who shouldn't be. Maybe we got some people in West Baltimore who are concerned about the millions of dollars coming into these great big edifices of people who live in poverty across the street from them. And that's all right. Maybe we're more concerned about daddy's legacy than we are Jesus's mission of the, of the great commission of making disciples. Maybe we need to reorganize. Maybe God needs to set some leaders down and put some people up who are really about his mission and not our own. Y'all with me? And I'm not taking digs at anybody. I'm just saying it is what it is. Okay. So Moses gets organized, and he says, look, it's too much for me to deal with all of y'all here. He has, and we've seen it in Exodus 18 with his father-in-law. Jethro says, man, you got all these people. You need to put some leaders over them. You're going to burn out. And Moses put these leaders over these people. And then Moses says, look, and if they can't handle it, bring it to me. Moses is a prophet from God. So he says, if it's too serious for y'all to handle, I'll take care of it. We're still in the wilderness. Y'all with me? All right. So after he sets up the leadership, he says, he's rec- now he's recounting Israel's refusal to enter the land. He said, then we set up from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. When you see wilderness in the Bible, it's not um, Discovery Channel. It's not wilderness like, uh, I don't know, ESPN on Saturdays when they're shooting deer. Wilderness is danger in the Bible. Are y'all with me? When you see Jesus in Matthew chapter four get tempted, the, this is the Middle East. The wilderness is a great and terrifying place. So again, the path that they're on is one of danger. Newsflash: Do you think that the path you're on over here in West Baltimore is one of danger? There've been 11 murders. there has been 56 murders, 54 murders, 50 it's 56 or 55, I don't remember. Murders in the city of Baltimore this year. 11 of them have taken place between two one two one seven. Right? 21215. You don't think it's dangerous out here? This is a place of danger. I'm going to venture to say that if you don't understand the danger in these neighborhoods, maybe you're not out there. <laughs> I love that. That's honest. Now, look, don't be a fool now. I, that's right, I try not to be out there. I love that. I love that. That's, and that's real, because in certain places I ain't going either at certain times. Um, you know, it's interesting we talk about this now, this great and terrifying wilderness. My wife says, um, she said, you're just not scared to go. And, and there's some truth to that, but then it's, and to some degree it's not. Because sometimes in trying to help people... And we don't measure what help is, by the way. Some of us think help is enabling or making people a project. People are not projects. They're people. And they're made in the image of God, and they have a dignity and inherent value. And they have gifts. And there's a mutual exchange that, we ha- that has to take place. And when exchange is absent, people lose their dignity. That's why social services is such a sham. So, so when I go out and I so-called help people, which is usually is enable them, because don't, we don't understand power, and that power is actually from God. When I move into these neighborhoods, there's a time when I think, man, you know what? There is a fear here. And I'm from here, but there is a fear here. And the fear is based on the fact that, well, the fear comes to me because I actually think that I'm the one that's supposed to do the work, it's God's work. The fear comes that when you talk to somebody and you're trying to love on them and you do life with them and you do everyday mission with them, the fear is that people don't change. The fear is that that somehow you'll get lost in the mission and that your family will be hurt trying to help somebody else. Am I right? Have y'all ever had those fears? So you're doing home communities in West Baltimore. Do you know what that means? (laughs) Do y'all understand what that looks like? Most folks in, our, in this part of town and in, in our part of town don't usually come into people's houses. Did y'all get that? Because that means it's a level of trust that I got to have to come into your house. Which means I got to trust that you're not even casing my house to see what you can get when I'm not here. Am I right? God is with you. And sometimes you got to take the hard road. You with me? So this is a great and terrifying wilderness that they go through. And Moses says, he says, and we came to Kadesh Barnea, and he said, I said to you, you've come to the hill country the Lord our God has given us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your father has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Moses says, do not fear or be dismayed. Then he says, then all of you came near me and said, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again in the way by which we must go up in the cities into which we come. You know what he's saying here, right? The the people are saying to him, well, let's send some spies out. Could be quoted, let's stall a little bit. <laughs> I'm not saying that's what they were doing because the scriptures don't say that. But I'm sure some people would say, yes, yeah, send the spies up. We're really stalling. But um, so they send the spies. In other words, let's recon the area. Let's see what we're getting ourselves into. Let's see the fruit of the land. Let's get into it. So Moses, he says, I think that's a good idea. And they do it. By the way, you can see the whole account, detailed account of this if you read your Bible in Numbers 13 and Numbers 14. This is real. How many people know that the Bible is a real everyday book with practical theology for everyday life? Like, if you really dig into the scriptures, you'll see you in there. It's the great meta-narrative of God, and you're a part of that. And I love the fact that the Bible doesn't lie. Isn't that good? So when these people say, I ain't going up (laughs) there, it makes me feel good that it it wasn't just me that didn't want to (laughs) go. Right? Um, So he says, um, He said, the thing seemed good to me, and I took 12 men from you, one from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Sheol and spotted out. And they took their hands in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, it is a good land that the Lord our God has given us. And Moses, then he turns, he says, he's talking to their children. and He says, yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, watch this, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Now watch this. Caleb and Joshua, if you read Numbers 13 and 14, come back with good reports. Everybody else comes up back with something negative. They start talking about the size of the people. They start talking about uh, uh, that God has brought them out of Egypt to kill them. And that they'll ne- the cities are fortified, which means they're built up. Isn't it funny how we make excuses not to do what God has called us to do? Isn't it funny how we exaggerate? Our fears become exaggerated in the face of the challenge when God calls us and says, do something. Our fears become exaggerated. Now, I look like I'm 6'5". One laugh. Don't let, I am 6'5". That's right. You guys didn't get it. Y'all were slow. In other words, I'm short. But in fear, my, my height is Exaggerated. So now in, in the land, when I go into the land, everything is exaggerated. We could never do it. God, watch this, and then we start pity party. God brought us, he hates us. God brought us out here to die. And they said he, he brought us from Egypt. We see it with the country of Israel, the people of God, that they consistently talk about back in Egypt. They were enslaved. How is it that our circumstances get so bad that we, want to be, we would rather be enslaved and comfortable than free and challenged by God. How does that happen? All right. So Moses says to them, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt, before your eyes, and in the wilderness, where have you seen how the Lord your God carried you? As a man carries his son all the way way that you went into that you went until you came to this place. In other words, God has not only multiplied you he multiplied you much so much I had to get order and leadership, but he also has carried you like a father carries a child. In other words, your memory is short. You guys have seen deliverance from Egypt in the worst way. You're talking about Amorites, but you just defeated the Egyptians. God has been with you. He is, he is Yahweh. He's the covenant God. He's promised never to leave you. He's been with you. You've seen his power. He's provided for you. And you're still talking about this obstacle that's in front of you. He said, yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents and fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. It's interesting, too. Let's go back real quick. It says in one of the verses that they went in their tents and said, In other words, their private dwelling places, they talked about how God had hated them and talked about, if you look in Numbers 13 and 14, they talked about Moses, and they talked about Aaron, they talked about all the leaders. Do y'all go in your house and talk about your pastor? (laughs) That's tough, Joseph, please. (laughs) God has given him a word for you. He's given him a vision for you. And God has brought him through some things, and he's trying to organize you and mobilize you to make the disciples in this eight neighborhood. Don't go into your house and complain about what he's telling you to do if it came from God. Well, how do you know it came from God? Search the scriptures. Pray about it. How about instead of talking about him, pray for him? How about coming to talk to him? Am I right? Okay. He says, you didn't believe God. You went before, you went in your tents, fire by you, I'm sorry. He went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pinch your tents and fire by night and a cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. In other words, God's been leading you. Why are you falling back? Why are you being disobedient to God? And the Lord heard your words and was angered and he swore, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb the son of Jephunah he shall see it. And to him and to his children, I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account and said, you also shall not go in there. In other words, Moses, (laughs) he didn't get to go either. Moses, if you look in the book of Numbers, God told him he splits the rock. He bangs the rock. He's disobedient. He becomes frustrated. He becomes exasperated. And Moses is here, if you're listening, is saying it's on account of dealing with you all that I ain't even going in. Is dealing with you all such a burden that Pastor Joel sometimes feels like that he can't go forward? I watch him on Facebook post things that are about you all. Things that happen. You know, when when tragedy hit the garden, I watch him put it out there and and put this young man out there for prayer because he loved him and he wanted to see the rest of the, the faith community pray for him. And I've watched him... From what I know, go to the hospital to see the brother and, and, and be there. If God has given you a blessing called leadership and a pastor, don't talk about what He's not. Pray for him and support him in who He is. He's not perfect. He's a man. But don't deter him from what God has for him, because you're murmuring, murmuring and complaining, because you know, it's so funny that people always got a better way. Isn't that interesting? Is always a better way to do something, but too bad God didn't call you to do it. Does that make sense? Now I'm not saying God doesn't call you to leadership, but whatever He's calling you to, won't you do that instead of telling Him what he should do? It's very interesting. It's just it's, it's interesting. I'm almost done. I promise. Y'all getting sleepy? The May Mans is getting shorter. <laughs> it says, and ask for your little ones. So Moses is saying, look, and no, God told Moses, you ain't going, they're not going. The only ones are going is the new children, Caleb, because he was faithful, and Joshua. Joshua's going to lead them in. In other words, y'all are done. So Moses says, then you answered me. We've sinned against the Lord. Duh. God told you to go. And now the people, now that they realize that they've made God angry, now that they realize that God has set this stuff before him, isn't it sometimes late how we figure out that God told us to do something and it's too late then? We've sinned against the Lord. He says, we ourselves will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. So now they want to fight. Now they want to go take possession of what God has told them to do. Guess what? God is not with you anymore. In the sense that, I mean, he loves you. He's your covenant faithful God, but he's saying, I'm not with you in this battle anymore. What will be said about this church and this generation? What if the time for you was now? What if God is telling you to move on the streets now? And you, go and you want to do it in your time. God tells you, no, that's not the time because God's timing is perfect. And then you want to move because right now you could be mobilizing, you could be organizing. God is setting you before the border. You're on the streets of West Baltimore and God is telling you to move. And then when he tells you to move, you don't move. So now later on, when you get the epiphany that God is sovereign that he loves you and that he's powerful, now you want to move. And God said, your time is up. Somebody else is going to do it. Now what do you do? Well, we're going. Well, now you don't have any results because now the anointing God is not with you. Now you'll see what's happening. Now it's not you anymore. Now you're going in your own strength. And the scripture said they got beat down. Then they came back and wept. Well, you say, um, Sean, how do we know if God is with us? The scriptures, prayer, follow your leaders. Be bold. Some of you know that God is calling you to do some things in these neighborhoods, but you won't do it. Well, guess what? The work will be done. Maybe it's the next generation. Maybe they're writing the books about you that you came and you moved here and you gentrified the city and you had a good time down at Red Robin in Canton, and you enjoyed the Inner Harbor. You got you three, four microbrews and you were good for the city, right? You got your little bumper sticker that said "I love city life." But when they start looking at the, the number of disciples you made, the, the ledger will say zero. Neighborhoods have not changed because you've moved in them. But you tip well at Red Robin. Excuse me, not your mama's. <laughs> okay, let me close this out. He says, so I spoke to you and you would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill. Then the Amorites who lived in the hill country came against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down. See, the Bible is real. Beat you down. I thought that was the 80s that came up with that. Right? Doesn't that sound like a run DMC? Beat you down. No, it's Moses. <laughs> and you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained at Kadash many days, the days that you remained there. So we say, okay, so... Let's close this out. What does this have to do with me? Where where am I at with this right now? Well, let's talk about it. What are the implications of this? Number one, God is good and faithful and worthy of our obedience. God is good and faithful and worthy of our obedience. How many of you can remember a time that God brought you out? That God delivered you? That God made a way for you. How about your salvation is an act of God. It's nothing that you've done yourself. That it's only grace and mercy that you even stand as one of God's children. And the greatest act he could have ever did for you was living a perfect life and dying on the cross for your sin. How about your salvation? You didn't even do that. That only God did that. Is doing that. God is still saving you, by the way. Do you get that? Let's just start with that. Can you remember how God brought you out? And if He did it before, guess what? He'll do it again. The next part. God is the same thing that troubled excuse me, the same thing that trouble previous generations troubles us. Fear of man, exaggerated weakness, misconstruing God's intentions, and disobedience based on our perspective and self pity. You know, a pity party is, is the worst kind of party because the only person that's invited is you. Y'all with me? We have limited time. Acts seventeen twenty six twenty eight 28 says that we're appointed times and boundaries and God has directly placed us in certain places for his glory. And that now is the time and Baltimore is the place. And we don't have time to sit back and wait. We must be obedient now. The other thing we see is God has graciousness, has given us the identity, authority, and example in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28 18 says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Have you, did y'all miss that one? That means every street in West Baltimore is under the authority of God. I know it doesn't look like it, but He's here. And how do you know that? Because it would be no goodness if God wasn't here. I meet people every day from the hood. The dignity, And the image of God is still, these people are made in his image. And they have latent gifts and talents. And they have pain and they have problems. And what we got to do is we got to bring the gospel into that where God's story meets their story. But I'm telling you that God has appointed you to this time and this place. The time is now. We don't wait. And these people, they're not them. It's us. And what if God had not given you the, what if the gospel had not been brought to you? You'd be dead in your sins. So how can we be selfish with the gospel? And lastly, there's an eternal reward that God has given us. In Revelation 21, 5, God has said, I'm making all things new. We just celebrated Easter two or three weeks ago, right? Which means that sin has been defeated. God is going to bring, we're going to see a new heaven and a new earth, and everything will be made new. And these bodies mean something to God, because the tomb is empty, the actual body is resurrected. A lot of us don't understand the resurrection. Jesus is no longer in the tomb. It's not a spirit floating around. You understand what I'm getting at? But the actual body is up. He's he's alive, and he reigns in power on the right hand of the Father. And he's given that, Paul says that the same power that he had, that he gave to Jesus. He also raised your mortal bodies, which means that there's nothing that can happen to us on these streets that would defeat us, or, or sin has already been defeated. Death has been defeated. Yes, we still struggle with sin, but sin has already been defeated. In other words, the power of sin, which is death, has been defeated, and we will rise with Jesus. We have risen from the dead, from our, our spiritually dead lives, and we are alive, and we walk with the power of Jesus Christ, which means we move from comfort and complacency, and we move into a, pace, a place of passion, and we move in power by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, "It's good that I leave, because if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit doesn't come." I asked my wife the other day. I said, "Would you be happy if we followed Jesus? Wouldn't you, don't you think we would follow him better?" And she said, "I think so, because he'd be right here." I said, "Well, wait a minute. He said that it's better if I leave. So the question is: Is not if God is here? The question is: Are you listening?" Are you quenching the Holy Spirit? He lives and reigns inside of you. The Bible says you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you, now, watch this. The church is not a place that we come to. The church is a people on mission. Ecclesia, we're the called out ones. And we're called to go into the city and make disciples, knowing that all authority has been given with Jesus. He's risen from the dead. He is beyond all power and glory. He's the immortal, invisible, king, eternal. And we are his people. Isn't that good news? We are his people. We're his people. I look at the Israelites and I laugh. And I laugh because I'm them. Straight up. I, I'm, I don't want to go. And I really, sometimes I just want to be left alone with my sin. Honestly. Before God does a work with you, he has to do a work in you. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. The church is not a country club. If you're the garden, let's grow. Isn't that right? But Jesus grows us. We don't grow ourselves, but we participate. It's not passive. Y'all with me? Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your wondrous gospel. Thank you that you did enter into... The battle. You came down to earth and you entered into the battle. You were tempted and always like us, yet without sin. And Lord, you conquered everything that we face disease and, and famine and poverty and, and, and racism and multiculturalism and mess. You conquered it all, God. And you reigned victorious. But I thank you, you weren't just a good example, but you died so that we could be forgiven and that you're alive and powerful. I pray that we walk in you, walk with you, walk in your power.